Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I'd like us to turn to Genesis chapter 12 and 13 in this area we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, as uh, Lanny was sharing last week, we'll just take uh, from verse uh, ch- uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, we'll take uh, from there a little bit and then uh, skip a few verses here and there. Now, the Lord had said unto Abraham, and notice the past tense, the Lord had said. He'd uh, gotten to a little halfway house until his old man died. Tira. So the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out from thy country, number one, and uh, number two, from thy kindred, and number three, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. So threefold separation that Lanny dealt with last week. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and there buildeth he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. All right, we'll just hold the rest of that chapter for the moment. Now, chapter 13 and verses 1 through to 4. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, and to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Now I'd like you to turn over to some connecting passages here that I want to link up as we continue here. Let's turn to the epistle of Hebrews. And I'd like to read uh, three passages of Scripture from here that we'll weave together in our teaching tonight. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 13. There's three particular chapters here that deal with the thought we're going to weave in with our uh, section on Genesis. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. 
For he looked for a city who, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Going down to verse uh, 13, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. Hebrews 12 verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Chapter 13, Hebrews 13, verse 12 through to 14. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him, without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. All right, now, as uh, Lenny covered last week and as we touched on the previous sessions, the thing that we want to look at tonight is Abraham has responded to a threefold call of the Lord. Get thee out from thy country to a land that I'm going to show you. Get you out from your, your kindred. I'm going to give you a new lot of kindred and get you out from your father's house. I'm going to build you a house. So this threefold call comes to Abraham and uh, we've seen how he responds. Now the thing that we need to look at tonight is this. I'm going to put it up on here. I'm going to sort of entitle the, the uh, teaching tonight is Between Two Cities. We mentioned on a previous occasion the Bible is uh, the tale of two cities, really. So what is Abraham going to do as the father of all who believe? Abraham is the father of all who believe. So as the father of all who believe, what is he going to do between two cities? Uh, that's the thing that we're going to look at. He is coming out of Babylon, and uh, as I believe uh, Lanny touched on last week, the chapters that we've looked at, in our previous session, we've had Genesis 10 and 11, the origin of nations, and then we've had the kings of those cities. In chapter 14 of Genesis, we see how those kings of those cities get into conflict. In fact, let's just turn to that. We'll bring all this together in due time. Let's go back to Genesis now here. All right, in uh, Genesis 14, let's just refresh your memory on this and see the conflict and just get this setting here. Uh, we'll just read verses 1 through, or 1 to 2, I think will be sufficient, then go down uh, uh, to verse 9. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Babylon was built in the plain of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasa, uh, Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Beer, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, 
Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemeba, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zor, all these were joined together in the Vale of Sidon, which is the Salt Sea. And going down to uh, verse 9, uh, the, the latter part, four kings with five. And the Vale of Sidon was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and so forth. Now, the picture that we've got here is we've said Genesis 10 and 11, the origin of the nations, origin of tongues, rising out of this now, kings of the nations and cities. And the major cities that we've got in conflict here is Babylon, king of Babylon, worldly cities, uh, king of Sodom and king of Gomorrah, wicked, godless cities, humanistic cities, sensual cities, hedonistic, corrupt, vile cities, sodomites, people that are named after that city, people that take the characteristics of those cities. And these kings are in conflict. And uh, we'll see the significance of this in a moment. We've got four kings uh, plus five. Nine kings in conflict against each other. Nine kings. And uh, in Genesis 14, we see how Lot has got involved. He's living in Sodom and Gomorrah and right in the gate of the city. We're going to deal with him next week. I think next week, yes. Um, and so there's conflict here and Abraham has had that call, get out of these cities, get out of Babylon, get away from the, uh, the daughter cities of this mother of harlots, uh, taking their characteristics from the mother here, and get up to a city that I'm going to show you, a city whose builder and maker is God. Now, we ought to say this right here, because Abraham was looking for Jerusalem, but how many believe that he was looking for that earthly Jerusalem over there? Hands up. Hey, you do? That earthly city over there? <laughs> you do? <laughs> God help you, Joe. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> our blessed brother here. Uh, he's not looking for that earthly city over there. Abraham was never looking for the earthly Jerusalem. We'll pick that up in time here. Uh, uh, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. So he has come out of these cities whose builder and maker was Nimrod and the conflict he has there and these kings and so God gives him the vision of that heavenly city, the new Jerusalem not the earthly Jerusalem as we'll see the new Jerusalem city now what is Abraham going to do between these two cities what are going to be the characteristics of this man who is the father of all who believe and because he's the father of all who believe, God says, I want you to look to Abraham. Now, I want you to go over to a scripture in Isaiah chapter 51 here, and a very important thing, because as we've picked up here in Genesis 12, after he responds to the call, we have some failure on the part of Abraham. Uh, let's go to, what did I say, Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. And we'll read verse 1 and 2, Isaiah 51, verse 1 and 2. And the prophet Isaiah says uh, by the mouth of the Lord here, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock when she are hewn, and to the hall of the pit when she are digged. The rock and the hall of the pit. He interprets it in verse 2. Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you. 
All right, so God's calling to us. He says, hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. How many are following after righteousness? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So he says, hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness. You that are seeking the Lord, how many are seeking the Lord? See? Look unto the rock. Look unto the hole of the pit. Look unto Abraham. So we're looking unto Abraham. I'm following after righteousness. I'm seeking the Lord, so I'm looking to Abraham. And unto Sarah, the father and the mother. Abraham, our spiritual father. Sarah, our spiritual mother. Uh, Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother, is free. See? For I called him what? What does the Bible say? I called him alone. Now what does Abraham do? He takes Lot with him. He took Terah with him. Took a lot of problems with him because as we're going to see next week when we have a character study of Lot, Lot's got no revelation. He's a believer without any revelation. He's got no vision of the city of God. In fact, uh, it would be very interesting to, to find which company we're in. So he says, look to Abraham, because I called him alone. And so God is going to allow problems to come to separate Abraham unto himself. Get, get rid of Lot, get rid of Terah. Cause a separation there because of the vision he wants to give. So he says, look unto Abraham your father, not to Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. So uh, Abraham's going to experience some uh, problems in the way here. All right, now, as we said here, he's coming out of Babylon, getting away from the characteristics of these cities. And as I said previously, the clearer his vision is of the new Jerusalem and the clearer insight he gets into the characteristics of that city and takes those characteristics upon him as a result of vision, the more he's going to be cleansed of uh, the characteristics of Babylon and Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities. Okay? Cleansing of that, coming out of Babylon, getting Babylon out of us, clear of the vision. And so I believe it's a very important thing that God has called us out of the Babylonian systems of this world and the Sodomite generation that we're living in, Sodom and Gomorrah spirit, which is to be destroyed by fire and brimstone. He wants to give us a, a, a vision of a city. We're looking for a city. Now, when Paul writes to the Hebrews... We'll notice that in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, which we've read, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 13, he's giving them a vision of the city. And he's pointing them back to Abraham. Okay? Now what has happened? Let's take, we're sort of getting in the, in the Genesis here, into Hebrews here, but I want to bring this thing together. In the book of Hebrews, what has happened with the Hebrew believers? They've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. That's become the key. The cross has become the key for them. And after being bound up, now you put yourself in the position of the Hebrew believers, and we'll see the significance of this looking at Abraham and his experience. They had been bound up in the earthly city of Jerusalem for years. You see, because this is what we've got. After the call to come out of Babylon and Sodom and Gomorrah and so forth, uh, earthly Jerusalem in due time comes into prominence. Earthly Jerusalem. But when Jesus comes, earthly Jerusalem rejects him. In earthly Jerusalem has been, uh, earthly Jerusalem as a city, 
has been the temple. Temple of God and the sacrifices and everything. But now, the earthly city and the religious leaders of the temple, so city the political and temple the ecclesiastical, they've rejected Jesus Christ, the King. Crucified him on the cross. And uh, when he died on the cross, he rent the veil of the temple. Just before he went to the cross, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers the chickens? And he wept over the city. And he prophesied the destruction of the earthly city and the earthly temple. Two things he prophesied the destruction of. He said, he, he said Your house is left unto you desolate, so he prophesies the destruction of the temple. So there's not one stone will be left unturned upon another, as we see which came to pass in AD 70. And then when he wept over Jerusalem, he said, he said, the days are coming when the armies are going to cast a trench about you because you've missed the day of your visitation and they'll just burn the city to the ground. So Jesus came to earthly Jerusalem and the earthly temple, but they rejected him. And so now, after being rejected, the believers who accept the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christians, and uh, particularly we're looking at the book of Hebrews here, the Hebrew believers, the Christians, have accepted Jesus Christ, and so they're being chased out of the city. They've been rejected from the temple. And so here they are being weaned away, and the whole purpose of Hebrews is to wean them from the earthly city to the heavenly city from the earthly Jerusalem to the heavenly Jerusalem, from the earthly temple to the spiritual temple, from animal sacrifices to spiritual sacrifices, from a visible high priest with his bells and smells and garments and what have you, and incense and nonsense, uh, to wean them from that to Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And it's very hard for human nature to be weaned from the material and the visible. We get wrapped up in externals. Very hard to let that go. And so the whole purpose, in fact, let me just sort of read it off my notes that I've got here. The purpose of the epistle in Hebrews is to wean them from Moses wholly over to Christ. And we have in this epistle the strongest appeals to leave the natural for the spiritual, the earthly for the heavenly, the human for the divine, the temporal for the eternal, the old for the new, the good for the better, the shadow for the substance, the promise for the answer, the prophecy for the fulfillment, the type for the reality, all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if Abraham's looking for a city, he certainly was not looking for that city. In fact, let's just turn over to a couple of scriptures on this uh, point here. Uh, let's turn over to, to uh, the book of Revelation. Now, just as, the, as you're turning to Revelation chapter 11 here, just as uh, the book of Hebrews refers to two Jerusalems, an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly one, so does the book of Revelation refer to two Jerusalems, an earthly one and a heavenly one. Let's look at the earthly Jerusalem. Revelation 11 and verse 2, the latter part of verse 2. Just the last clause I want to look at. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Why was it a holy city? Is it a holy city now? Why do people want to go to the holy city and go for Jerusalem for misguided too? What makes the city holy? 
It's only holy because of the presence of Jesus once there and because that's where the supreme sacrifice took place. But when you look at verse 8, you'll see how holy it's become. And their dead bodies, referring to the bodies of the two witnesses, their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is Sodom. Oh, that city back there. So now Jerusalem becomes Sodom, spiritually. Why? How was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? How will Jerusalem be destroyed? Which spiritually is Sodom and Egypt. So here John, and there's no mistaking about it, no need to spiritualize it as uh, some do, where also our Lord was crucified. No mistaking the city there. So here earthly Jerusalem, where also our Lord was crucified, John, the last reference to the earthly city of Jerusalem in the Bible, it refers to it as spiritually Sodom and Egypt. Let me just throw you one little seed thought out on it. Sodom had two witnesses, rejected them, and was destroyed by fire and brimstone. Egypt had two witnesses and was judged by plagues. Jerusalem had two witnesses, will be judged by plagues and destroyed by fire and brimstone because the spiritual condition of Sodom and Egypt have got into that earthly thing. So is Abraham looking for that city? Or is he looking for Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1 and 2? And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. So how many know that Abraham was not looking for that city? Because if he's looking for that city, he's going to be very disappointed because it means that when Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to have to clean up that smelly old stinky Sodom and Egypt city over there where we go for our misguided tours and say, Abraham, here's the beautiful city you were looking for that I showed you when you come out of Babylon. And Abraham will walk around that city like I've done and say, oh God, this is no cleaner than Babylon that I came out of. If this is the city, keep it. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Uh, just exactly what I'm saying. It's just stupidity in my mind. Okay? Very interesting for geography and uh, uh, Bible, uh, uh, what's the class? <laughs> on, eh? Yes, uh, like maps and all that business. Very interesting for that. But to go there and say, oh, I just felt the presence of Jesus here you know, and the footprints of Jesus on Mount of Olives three feet long in cement, you know, and two Golgothas and two Calvaries, and he's buried in both places. They're both genuine. That, you know, that doesn't impress me. And when I hear Christians say that, I don't have any sympathy. I'm very sorry on all that. I say, save your money, stick it in the Bible temple, or give me the tithes or something. Uh, okay. That's, uh, I think the scripture is very clear on that. Now let's go over to one more scripture on that. Then we'll get back to uh, what should we do between two cities. You see, unless we get the clear vision of the, what the city of God is, then we're going to hear what, uh, believe and follow what some expositors say. Abraham was looking for the earthly city. 
He's looking for Jerusalem, the earthly city, and in a millennial kingdom. You know I believe in one, but not a Jewish one. In an earthly uh, millennial kingdom, we're going to have the earthly city cleaned up. Well, I don't want to be over there sweeping up those dirty streets. How many want a job <laughs> in dirty old smelly Jerusalem? Let's look at this one. This is a heavy one too. And, and remember, Connor didn't write the Bible. I'm just quoting Jews who wrote it. Jews for Jesus who wrote it. Galatians. Now you listen to this heavy one. Because what's needed today is Christians need to get their eyes off the earthly Jerusalem. That's what I'm saying. And they're not going to get your eyes off earthly Jerusalem unless you have a vision of the city of God. Right? That's what I'm saying. So we have to shoot down the old Jerusalem before you get a vision of the heavenly one. Don't you think that's good logic? All right, Galatians 4. This is Paul, who was a Jew for Jesus. And the rest of the Jews didn't like him too much. Verse 22. Uh, verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants. Link verse 22 and verse 24. Abraham had two sons. For these are two covenants. Two sons. Two covenants. Who were the two sons? Ishmael and Isaac. These two sons, allegorically speaking, Paul is saying, are two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, or Hagar, and listen to this heavy statement. This is not Connor, this is Jew for Jesus Paul. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children. So when you're going over to Jerusalem for a misguided tour, you're going to look at Hagar and Ishmael. And the Jews are Ishmael, allegorically. That's why I'm, I must admit I do get agitated when I hear preachers come and come to Jerusalem and of course they get a free trip out of it if they get enough of the saints uh, paying their fare. That would be a good job I could take up. If I could give some good stuff over there and you know I might be shot out as anti-Semitic or something, right? But that's clear, isn't it? Verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem which now is. Ishmael, Hagar, Egypt. That's where he got Hagar. The chapter we read at the start. But Jerusalem which is above is free which is the mother of us all. So we've got two Jerusalems here. Jerusalem, which is now is the earthly thing, which is in bondage, which is an Ishmael thing. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. So which Jerusalem is Abraham looking for? This thing or the one above? The one above. Isn't that clear? Okay. Mother of us all. 
For it is written, Rejoice thou, barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so the earthly Jerusalem persecutes the heavenly Jerusalem. This seed of the flesh hates the Christians. Oh, it depends where our vision, and I'm saying these things because so many Christians are being wrapped up in the earthly Jerusalem and being deceived out of thousands and thousands of dollars to rebuild a temple over there and go to earthly Jerusalem. So is your vision earthly or are you looking for a city whose builder and maker is God? And that's the whole purpose of Paul in Hebrews 11, 12 and 13. Three chapters he refer refers to the city. City is builder and maker is God. Abraham's looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Not for that earthly thing. So let's follow the father of all who believe. You come unto heavenly Jerusalem, heavy, heavenly Zion. Let us go forth unto him without the camp without the camp of Judaism, without earthly Jerusalem. Leave your earthly city. Don't worry about losing the thing. Because we have no continuing city to come uh, here, uh, no continuing city. We seek one to come. So the whole purpose of Hebrews is to wean them from the earthly Jerusalem and give them a vision of the heavenly city, the, the heavenly Jerusalem. And my whole purpose of my thing tonight is to wean us, if you're wrapped up in the earthly Jerusalem, to get you up here. How many are looking up there? Right? Got to have a clear vision. And this is such a delusion amongst the Christians today. Earthly Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. And my whole purpose of my thing tonight is to wean us, if you're wrapped up in the earthly Jerusalem, to get you up here. Right? How many are looking up there? Right? Got to have a clear vision. And this is such a delusion amongst the Christians today. Earthly Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. Well, these scriptures are very clear that uh, we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Okay, let's go back to uh, Genesis 12 now. All right, so the necessity of having a very clear vision of the city of God because of what we have to go through before we get there. What we have to go through before we get there. Because Abraham hasn't got it yet. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And you notice that the Hebrew scripture says, all of them had the same vision. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all heirs with him of the same promise. All looking for a city. God is not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared for them a city. So they never did get that earthly city. In fact, the, uh, the uh, heavenly city, the earthly city was uh, Jebus, and under the control of the Jebusites, right through to David. So Abraham certainly wasn't looking for that, and look what it turned out to be uh, when Jesus came. So here, these three men, looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Now I want to pick out three words that characterize these three men. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I want to pick out three words that characterize these men uh, between two cities, and that spiritually should characterize us. If we have a vision of the city of God, our destiny, 
We're not going to be wrapped up in the cities of this world when they're blown sky high because when Jesus comes the second time, every city upon the face of the earth, including earthly Jerusalem, are going to be destroyed by fire and brimstone. Every city. You just need to study the book of Revelation and see what God says about the cities there. Every city upon the face of the earth is going to be destroyed by fire and brimstone. So we need to be caught up into another city. Not wrapped up in this city. All right, uh, Genesis 12. Let's pick out the three words. Verse 7, we read, And the Lord appeared unto Abraham and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. There's three things that we'll see repeated through each of these men's lives. Number one, the building of an altar. Number two, the pitching of the tent. And number three, calling on the name. calling on the name of the Lord. Now let's just go through some of the passages on this and then pick out the significance, the spiritual meaning of it, and lessons we learn from it. Um, let's go over to chapter 13 again and see how we pick it up. These same three words, chapter 13 and verse uh, 3 and 4. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So we have the altar, the tent, and the name. Genesis 12, the altar, the tent, and the name. Genesis 13, altar, tent, and the name. Verse 18. Then Abraham removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Altar unto the Lord. I'll give you a couple of other scriptures for uh, Isaac and Jacob, and then uh, comment. Genesis 26, verse 25, for those who are taking down references. Genesis 26, verse 25. Genesis 33, and verse 20. Genesis 33, verse 20. Genesis 35, verses 1 to 7. So I'll say those three again. Genesis 26, verse 25. Genesis 33, verse 20. And Genesis 35, 1 to 7. Each of these men were characterized by the altar. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they always built an altar unto the Lord. Okay, now, what is the main thought that we have about the altar? Uh, let's go over to a, a verse in Exodus, the book of Exodus, that probably is the best uh, explanation of this and the spiritual significance of it. Exodus chapter 20. And verse 24. You can put verse 24 through to 6 if you're taking down scriptures, but verse 24 will be sufficient. And an altar, an altar of earth shalt thou, thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice thereon thy burnt offerings and thy peace offerings, 
thy sheep and thine oxen, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee and I will bless thee. So the significance of the altar, several thoughts I want to bring out with this. First of all, the altar in relation to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob shows that the husband, the head of the house, the household father, is acting as priest of his house. The very fact that these men build an altar unto the Lord shows them as patriarchal priests, patriarchal priesthood, as head of the house, building the family altar. Household father and headship and patriarchal priesthood we have here. So the altar is significant of patriarchal priesthood. Connected with that, of course, is sacrifice. The altar was a place of sacrifice. And this family altar became their sanctuary because that's where the Lord's presence was. He said, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee. And so over and over again in those scriptures we have, and the Lord appeared unto Abraham. He built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And uh, he built an altar and the Lord appeared unto Isaac and appeared unto Jacob. So it was the guarantee of God's presence. So the family altar, patriarchal priesthood, place of sacrifice, guarantee of God's presence. And spiritually speaking, every one of us should have a family altar. If we're, if we're married as head of our house, we should be priests in our household. We should not expect the church to do for us what we should do in our own home. We should do it. Most problems I find always get back to the home. Don't blame it onto the church. Gets back to the home, and so it's really important that uh, have we got a, a a family altar? We exercising our priestly ministry. Are we conscious of the presence of the Lord in our household, household of faith? These men were. So between two cities, okay, we ought to be men of the altar and men and women of the altar and family, family altar and family priesthood there. All right, number two. The next thing we have is the tent. All right, what's the significance of the tent? Let me give you uh, another scripture here on the tent. Genesis chapter 26, verses 17 and 25. Genesis 26, verse 17 and 25. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them were tent dwellers. Let's read the verse again in Hebrews 11 and see what it says about them here. And we'll look at the spiritual significance. Hebrews 11 And verse 9 says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles or tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which have foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So why is it that God did not allow these men to live in cities? In fact, any time Abraham went to a city, Isaac or Jacob went to a city, when Jacob gets near the city of Shechem, has problems. His daughter gets into problems morally, makes his name stink. Whenever these guys went in their cities, there's always a problem. God said, I haven't called you to live in a city. I've called you to come out of these cities and look for a city whose builder and maker is God. That's the city I'm interested in. So God had all of these men as tent dwellers, living in tabernacles, living in tents. Okay, well, 
We know that's not literal today. I'm glad I don't live in a tent and pay no rent. Um, a few other things we'd say down under that wouldn't mean much here. My wife's, uh, my wife's mother's mother lived, they lived in tents in Australia for 20 years. How would we survive in a tent? All right, what do you think the tent is significant of? Okay, two scriptures I want you to, uh, want you to look at while we're in Hebrews 11, if you're still there. <laughs> we have interpretation of this, uh, the character of the tent or the symbolism of the tent, the spiritual thought of the tent is in verse uh, 13 of Hebrews 11. Uh, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and what? Confessed that they were, say it together, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The tent is the character of a stranger and a pilgrim. Earth is not our dwelling. Earth is not our permanent home. We're just looking for a city. We're en route to the city of God. So we have the pilgrim character. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 sort of confirms the same thought, uses very similar language. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So all of us, we're, we're looking for a city. We're not to be wrapped up. And you see, as we're going to see next week, when Lot, when Lot, who was with Abraham and they had their problem, what did Lot do? He goes way back to Sodom, living in Sodom. He's, he's a city dweller. He's caught up in the sins of the city, observing them, hearing the thing, uh, and trying to be righteous. He's, you never see Lot in the tent. He doesn't have that. In fact, you don't see Lot with an altar. You don't see Lot with a tent. Yet he's a believer. But what sort of a believer? Saved so as by fire. Has to be rescued out of the city. And when he does come out of the city, he says to God, Oh, let me go to Zor. There's a little city. Is it not a little city? <laughs> he just wrapped up in the city. Never taken on that pilgrim and stranger. Never seen a vision of that city. So uh, never see him with an altar, never see him with a tent. Pilgrim and a stranger. So that's the spiritual significance of that. How many of us are just pilgrims and strangers? We have no permanency here. We're looking for permanency in the city of God. And so that's why we can lose. You know, if, if Jesus did come tonight, uh, could we just leave everything? How many could leave everything? Whatever you do, always leave a permanent note to the Antichrist with love keep up the payment. <laughs> Your ex-friend. Okay. I could leave it all right now. I could leave the whole thing. Okay. I don't think I'm bound, but Lot and Mrs. Lot. She, she, God said, don't look back to the city, but her heart's in the thing, and she just turns around and becomes a pill of salt. Okay. She's so wrapped up in the city, and how many Christians are wrapped up in material things and city life and city possessions and city gain. And if, if Jesus goes, oh, God, I, oh, gee, they want to look back and see if everything's all right for the Antichrist to look after, water the gardens or something. I, what? <laughs> well, we're to have that uh, live in a tent and pay no rent. Pitched his tent between Bethel, which is the house of God, and Hai, which means ruins, 
On one side there's ruins, on the other side there's the house of God. Yeah. All right, the uh, third one here, number three, calling on the name of the Lord. Let's go back to Genesis to the first use of this expression here. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26. And we seem to have a double thought in this area here. Genesis chapter 4 and uh, verse 26 is the first use of this expression. Uh, the latter part, I'll just read Genesis 4 verse 26. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord, to invoke the name of the Lord. The margin has, in fact it seems in the Hebrew that it's a Hebraism that could read either way. Uh, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord, to invoke the name of the Lord, because uh, as he said, where you build an altar, in all places where I record my name, I'll come to you. That will be the guarantee of my presence. So the, the calling on the name was invoking the presence of the Lord. We'll see. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the margin says, uh, then men began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. So there's a double thought there. They began to call on the name of the Lord, and yet they began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. And that's true to Bible theology all the way through in the New Testament. Uh, if my people which are called by my name, and anyone that names the name of Christ, and with, uh, with all them that call upon the name of the Lord in every place. And what's Matthew 18:20 say, which is the New Testament equivalent to this, where two or three are gathered together in my name. And the Amplified says, into my name, uh, harmonizing and, and making a symphony. Where they gather together in unity and harmony and uh, symphonize together. Is that the way I think so? Uh, there I am. That's the guarantee of my presence. There I am in the midst. So there was the thought. So in this we have the altar as the priesthood, the place of sacrifice, uh, the family altar, the tent, a pilgrim and stranger, uh, looking for city, no permanency, not wrapped up in cities, looking for the city of God, calling on the name and the name being called upon them, the guarantee of his presence. All right, now let's go back to Genesis chapter 12 as we finish here. Our time's just about up. Just for one other thought here. Genesis 12. All right, let's, just before we mention this final thought here. So, here's, I trust that we've got, uh, communicated the picture tonight. Coming out of Babylon, getting away from uh, Nimrod, uh, Babylon and the city whose builder makers, Nimrod, in the plain of Shinar, earthly thing, uh, daughter cities of Babylon, Sodom and Gomorrah, and the evil characteristics, fighting of kings, so forth. All right. Thing we pick up here is after this battle of the kings Abraham rescues Lot out of Sodom and as he's bringing Lot out of Sodom or uh, rescuing Lot, pardon me and, and, and the so a king of Sodom meets Abraham, that's right but another king meets him Melchizedek and this is very interesting because Melchizedek, who is king of Salem, the most expositors say king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, and because of the controversy over who Melchizedek is, but we'll throw this out for you to think about. Melchizedek, king of Salem. And most expositors, most preachers 
in a sin of ignorance, really, say, well, he's king of earthly Jerusalem. Well, isn't it interesting that earthly Jerusalem was under the Jebusites right through to David? And we're going to say that Melchizedek was king of the Jebusites, of a Jebusite city. And that Abraham is willing to give his tithes to a little Tom, Dick and Harry, King Melchizedek from a Jebusite city, earthly Jerusalem, looking for a love offering and receive the communion from him. And Jesus Christ is made after the order of Melchizedek, who's king of earthly Jerusalem, a Jebusite city. How ridiculous. I think if we see this thing, where did Abraham get the vision of the city? He got it from Melchizedek. Melchi is king and Zedek is righteousness and Melchizedek is king of righteousness and king of peace, Salem. He came from the city of God, Jerusalem, which is Jeru, righteousness, Salem, peace. And who would be more fitting to give Abraham the vision of the city of God than the king of the city, Melchizedek himself. And so, says to Abraham, you've had the battle with all these kings. There are nine kings there. I'm number ten. I'm the tenth king you'll meet. So Abraham, who was the tenth, as we've seen, from Noah and the twentieth from Adam, Abraham the tenth meets the tenth and he gives him a tithe, which is a tenth. Ten by ten by ten. Purely accidental, nothing in it. God didn't have a thing in mind. <laughs> or did he? Look unto Abraham, the father of all who believe. So who would be more fitting to give him the vision of that city than the king of that city. Meeting him after the battle of the kings of earthly cities, he meets the king of the heavenly city. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Yes, I believe he was. Yes, there's five different theories on who Melchizedek was. Um, all of them are weak except the fact that uh, Melchizedek is the Lord Jesus Christ in a theophany a pre-cross manifestation and revelation before his incarnation. Yes, I believe that. Otherwise, see, any other theory, I'll just say this as we close. To say that Melchizedek is, and I won't name the five theories off, or that he's a Gentile king, or this, that, and the other, then uh, or say Melchizedek was uh, a Gentile king, or an angel, or whatever, Jesus Christ is made a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So if Melchizedek was a Gentile king, then Jesus Christ is made a priest forever after the order of, Mel uh, of a Gentile king or an angel or these other theories, which is absolutely ridiculous eh? when you take the total revelation. So I believe it was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul in Hebrews takes up Melchizedek in chapter 7 and uh, takes up Abraham and Melchizedek in chapter 6 and 7 and takes up the city in chapter 11, 12 and 13. Where did Paul get the revelation of it? So I want to look unto Abraham, my father, and uh, keep up the family altar, live in a tent, maintain the pilgrim character, keep calling on the name of the Lord, and keep my vision on that city, and keep in touch with uh, Melchizedek, and pay my tithes, enjoy the bread and the wine, the communion, and hang around the saints. Amen? How many feel they got something tonight? Okay, all right, I saw all those hands. Don't forget next week. All right, let's stand.
Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.